0: cardiology, neuroscience, and artificial intelligence. The icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. We find a way. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Science Careers. Looking for some career advice? Wondering how to get ahead or how to strike a better work-life balance? Visit our site to read how others are doing it. Use our individual development plan tool, access topic-specific article collections, or search for an exciting new job. Science Careers, produced by Science and AAAS, is a free website full of resources to help get the most out of your career. Visit sciencecareers.org today to get started. Welcome to the Science Podcast for August 1st, 2014. I'm Sarah Crespi. In this week's show, we talk about a new source for gamma rays, And David Grimm is here with a roundup of daily news stories. Support for the Science Podcast is provided by AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, advancing
1: science, engineering, and innovation throughout the world for the benefit of all people. AAAS, the Science Society, at www.aaas.org.
0: For hundreds of years, amateur astronomers have been observing NOVI, the explosion of white dwarf stars. Now, new observations from the Fermi Gamma Ray Space Telescope have revealed that NOVI are an unexpected source of gamma rays. I spoke with Teddy Chung about this surprising find.
2: So, we discovered gamma rays from NOVI. So, NOVI are the endpoints of stars, and this was an unexpected discovery because this type of system was not expected to produce radiation at such high energies.
0: Well, let's talk a bit about what
2: nova is. Okay. So ANOVA is a nuclear explosion on the surface of a star, and it's a special type of star called a white dwarf. And most stars in our galaxy eventually die off and turn into a white dwarf. So, we think that these nova explosions are pretty common and people can see these novae. That's historically how these things are found. They appear as bright new stars in the sky. And the unexpected bit is that we actually see these in gamma rays.
0: You mentioned that amateur astronomers are actually able to observe novae. Did they have a role in this research?
2: Yeah, so typically, novae are discovered by amateurs because amateurs like to use their backyard telescopes or even binoculars and they're very familiar with constellations. So you actually have a lot of amateurs, people in their spare time at night, that go out and sit out in their lawn chairs and actually look for Novi. The Novae that we found in gamma rays were also found by amateurs.
0: The gamma ray part is what is surprising about this result. Why is that surprising?
2: Gamma rays are really high energy radiation, so you only have very special conditions in nature that actually makes gamma rays. And people have been thinking about Novae for centuries. But for some reason, they haven't thought about how high an energy NOVI can produce in terms of their photons. So this was a surprise. We have this telescope that operates in gamma rays, and we expected to see some types of objects, but no one actually, at least in the literature that I can find, thought that NOVI could produce gamma rays.
0: And what were some sources that were known of gamma rays
2: before? So gamma-ray sources tend to be coming from black holes and neutron stars. These are things that we know live in the centers of distant galaxies, supermassive black holes. Their environments tend to generate high-energy gamma rays. And for neutron stars, these are what are commonly called pulsars. So you have high-energy radiation coming from neutron stars that are spinning, and you can actually see the pulses of gamma rays and other types of radiation. So those are the types of objects that we tend to think and no, are gamma-ray sources, but just not white dwarf-type sources.
0: Does this finding change the way we need to think about NOVAe? Do we need to come up with a mechanism for how they could emit these kinds of rays?
2: Oh, definitely. So people have been for hundreds of years thinking about NOVAe, but this aspect of having gamma rays being detected from them has been a real surprise for the entire NOVA community and the astronomical community in general. So after we found the first gamma rays from these, the first couple of NOVAe, We've been starting to think about how to generate them, and we present some very general guidelines on how gamma rays could be produced in these explosions, but of course, it's not definite. So, hopefully, this paper will prompt other people to have the necessary observations to try to replicate in terms of determining what they think could make gamma rays and novae. So,
0: these observations that were included in the research here, can you talk a bit about those and then why this hasn't been seen before?
2: The telescope we use is the Fermi Gamma-ray Space Telescope. It's one of NASA's relatively new telescopes. It was launched in 2008. And it's the most sensitive gamma ray telescope in human history. Its predecessor instrument was launched about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. This is just so much more sensitive to gamma rays.
0: Okay, so it's outside the atmosphere. Was the other one outside the atmosphere too?
2: Oh, yeah. Gamma rays get absorbed in our atmosphere, so any sort of gamma ray telescope, well, for this type of gamma ray telescope, has to be in space. So these are all space telescopes. Mm
0: -hmm. Gamma rays do actually hit the Earth and get absorbed by the atmosphere. Are these novi-source gamma rays a significant source of that?
2: Uh, No, they're actually pretty puny, (laughs) but they turn out to be very bright sources for our space telescope.
0: Why is this an important phenomenon to understand at this point?
2: So we're studying the nuclear explosion on stellar surfaces. So it's at a safe distance. We can watch these things explode. And that goes for any type of astronomical object. You see these extreme environments, these things that are not, can't really be replicated on the Earth. In fact, when we see gamma rays from from NOVI, we definitely don't want them to be near us. uh, (laughs) But we can study them from the safe distance and see what kind of physical conditions can make high-energy gamma rays.
0: Teddy, thanks so much for talking with me.
2: Okay. Well, thank you, Sarah.
0: Teddy Chung and colleagues write about classic NOVI as galactic gamma-ray sources in this week's issue. Now we have Sochi Rojas Rocha. She's an intern for our daily news site here to talk about some recent online stories. I'm Sarah Crespi. First up, we have a story on the effects of maternal smoking on fetal DNA. For decades, mothers have been warned not to smoke while pregnant, and the results of doing so have been quantified. But how smoking impacts things like newborn birth weight, the mechanism at work, has been unclear. So, Sochi, what other problems do these babies have?
1: So the babies of smokers tend to have problems with their lung function and to have a higher incidence of BRITs effects. In some cases, adult children of smokers do also struggle with asthma and nicotine addiction.
0: In the study design here, how did the researchers go about looking into the mechanism
1: So what they did was they took the blood samples of 889 newborn infants and they looked at these infants' DNA to see if there was a particular methyl group on their DNA which had shown to be changed.
0: And so when you say whether or not there's a methyl group, that means the DNA is the same, it just has something attached to it? Yes. Once they looked at these epigenetic marks, these removable marks on the DNA of these babies, did they see any differences between the children of smokers and non-smokers?
1: Yes, the babies that were born to smokers had changes in 100 gene regions of their DNA as compared to babies born to non-smokers. And were these gene regions
0: especially interesting or related to some of the effects that we see?
1: Yes, they're related to fetal development and nicotine addiction. So you can actually inherit nicotine addiction through this mechanism? It. Is possible. They're not entirely certain whether these changes could be permanent or whether they're just part of the natural development of the baby. So is that the next step then, to see how permanent this is? Yes, because we have seen that there are connections between the baby being born to a smoker and having long-term health problems like asthma, but we're not entirely certain that it's coming from these epigenetic changes to the DNA.
0: Next up, we have a story on a turtle going the distance. Marine protected areas make up less than 3% of the vast oceans of the world. Within these regions, human activity is limited in some way, but these reservoirs of wildlife might not be enough to protect some critters. In this case, we're talking about the endangered green sea turtle. So
1: what's up with these turtles, Sochi? So these turtles aren't exactly staying put where we were hoping they would. They're a migratory species. So in most cases, the scientists were finding that Turtles were migrating outside of the boundaries of these marine-protected areas to forage.
0: How far were these turtles going?
1: The turtle that had traveled the farthest ever recorded, actually, traveled from the Chagos Archipelago in the Indian Ocean all the way to Somalia, about 4,000 kilometers away.
0: Wow. Is that what they found for most of the turtles, that they spent a lot of time outside the protected area?
1: Yes. So the researchers tagged eight sea turtles, and one out of eight turtles remained within the marine protected area. So the remainder just spent their entire time outside of the boundaries.
0: What does this mean for the usefulness of marine protected areas in terms of the way that they're protecting migratory species?
1: Well, the researchers do say that Not enough is being done to protect the migratory species because they are spending so much time outside of the marine protected areas. Marine protected areas can help sedentary species, but more needs to be done for the migratory.
0: And how are these areas, these protected areas, chosen? Can evidence like this help to make the needed changes?
1: Most decisions that determine how the marine protected areas are formed and where they're formed actually don't have a lot to do with the environmental science. So they're very much based more on territories. So where can the nation afford to put these marine protected areas, which areas fall within its bounds?
0: Is this research going to be used to make an argument to make a change to that?
1: Yes, so researchers are suggesting that for now, we need to have larger marine protected areas with smaller ones inside that are going to target exactly where these migratory species will come to land.
0: Lastly, we have a story on turning birds. Schools of fish and flocks of birds seem to move as a single organism, turning on a dime while maintaining formation. Despite multiple proposed models for how information is conveyed within these tightly knit groups, none have actually ever really fit the data. Can you tell us about some of these older models, Sochi?
1: Sure. So up until the newest study was published, one of the more accurate models built off the idea that these birds will turn depending on which direction their neighbor turns. So if your neighbor turns left, you turn your left. If your neighbor turns right, you turn right. However, the newest research shows that this study wasn't exactly hitting the mark.
0: Right, so in this new study, they managed to work out a different model. Is it based on a new kind of data?
1: Yes, the researchers took video of a flock of starlings flying near a train station, and so they used tracking software to determine exactly where and when each individual bird decided to turn.
0: And what did they see about these decisions in the video?
1: So the researchers looked at their videos, and they determined that it was more important for an individual bird to to determine how sharply its neighbor was turning, then in which direction its neighbor was turning. And so they determined from the video that this message to turn was traveling through the flock at about 20 to 40 meters per second at a constant speed.
0: Going back to the title of this article for a minute, how is a flock of birds like liquid helium
1: so it turns out that when you cool helium down to almost absolute zero it becomes a liquid that has no resistance to flow whatsoever each atom is utterly cohesive that's very much like a flock of starlings in that the speed is always constant and the researchers determined that their mathematical formula was actually identical to the one used to describe the flow of liquid helium
0: all right what else is on the site this week sochi
1: Well, this week we have a lot of articles on science policy. So we have a Science Insider describing how NASA has come up with a new set of rules that limit foreign contributions to their planetary missions. And another article on Google X is coming up with a baseline study to determine what exactly it means to be healthy. And those are both from Science Insider, our policy blog. Thanks, Sochi. Thanks, Sarah.
0: Sochi Rojas Rocha is an intern for our online daily news site. I'm Sarah Crespi. You can check out the latest news and the policy blog, Science Insider, at news.sciencemag.org. And that concludes this edition of the Science Podcast. If you have any comments or suggestions for the show, please write us at sciencepodcast at or tweet to us at Science Magazine. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and many other places, or listen on the Science site. The show is a production of Science Magazine. Jeffrey Cook composed the music. I'm Sarah Crespi. On behalf of Science Magazine and its publisher, AAAS, thanks for joining us.